Time to travel with Karen Key. Coming up this Saturday, the 11th of October, is the Elam Wine and Food Celebration. And joining me on the line now is Dirk Hillman, owner and winemaker of Black Oyster Catcher, the hosting farm for this year's event. Dirk, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell me what's happening on Saturday. Sounds like a wonderful day is going to be had by all. What's, what are you doing there? Well, we'll, um, we'll entertain you for the whole day. Let's start there. <laughs> We're going to start from 7 in the morning uh, with a registration. We're going to have a a cycle race, or let's call it uh, rather um, a cycle ride, um, going through some of the most extraordinary Feinbos areas through our vineyards, past our buffalo camp, and also past the wetlands where we actually have hippo in. Um, Yeah, and also a trail run, and then all the local produce from the area, and then all the cool climate wines from the Southern Cape. Now, I mentioned this was the Elam Wine and Food Celebration. For those who aren't quite sure where you are, just explain exactly where Elam is. Well, Elam is the southernmost um, wine ward in, in, in Africa at the moment, with uh, the southernmost vineyards in Africa as well. we close to Cape Agulhas, between Cape Agulhas and, and Elam. And also then we've incorporated the all the other wineries uh, from Lomont, which is on Hans Bay side, right up to um, Shane, that is on the Breda River. I and love, from I love there some on to the south. I love some of the names of the wineries. I mean, you guys are the Black Oyster Catcher. There's the Giant Periwinkle. There's Ghost Corner. Lovely names, very evocative names. Where did you come up with this? Well, I think it's all um, uh, the coastal influence mm. and, and us being very close to the coast and also right down in the southern tip with the rich history of all the uh, shipwrecks and everything. I uh, suppose it's from there. And you, as I mentioned, are the hosting farm. So is most of this happening at Black Oyster Catcher on Saturday? Yes. <clears throat> the, we start at 10 o'clock in the morning um, and the tickets, I must say, is really going fast now. Um, you can book online and through web, web tickets, tickets mm. um, through the www.elam wines. And um, we started at 11. We've got uh, Valiant Swart doing some um, music for us there. And we're also going to have the cycle race, as I said, a trail run. It's a 39-kilometer cycle race and a 14 and a 14 um, trail run as well, 14-kilometer trail run. And, of course, the wine. Can't forget the wine, Dirk. Yeah, sure. No, we're going to have nine wineries there. Um, uh, if you come for the day, you, we will entice you with some of the best local produce that we've got. Um, and I must also say that it's, it's non-commercial stuff. You know, it's, we're out in the sticks. You're going to come out here. We will make it a day to remember. And I noticed that it's not only just wine. For beer lovers, there's going to be some nice artisanal ale as well. Yeah, we've got a local brewer that's going to be here. He's got his, his, his beer here. And like I said, we'll, we'll have all the cool climate wines, um, wine tastings, uh, all the food from the area. We're um, going to have a sheepdog uh, uh, exhibition where sheepdogs will work with, uh, with their trainers and herding sheep. And we might even have a flyby with a, one of the crop sprayers showing you, you know, how we do our crop spraying. 
And I heard there was going to even be archery on, a horse, on horseback as well, possibly. That's right, yeah. We've, we're lucky that we've got one of the guys that participated in the, uh, I think he's got SA Colors, um, in, in all natural with no saddles, no bridles, nothing. Uh, archery from horseback. Uh, with his, um, He did a demonstration for us last year and he's from within the area. Uh, very exciting. And you mentioned earlier that tickets were going fast. Are there a limited number of people that you're going to be having at this event? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, <clears throat> it's very difficult to, to know how many people we're going to have. So we, we, we try and get people to, to do book online. Um, and we will have to cut off at about a 1,000. Um, and it's going fast. So I would recommend to, to do book online. So what is it going to cost for us to come out there for the day? Um, it depends on if you if you're going to do the cycle race. The cycle for adults is 150 rand per adult, and 75 rand uh, for any person under 18, and that's for the 39 kilometres, and 100 rand per adult for the 14 kilometre cycle race and the trail run, and 50 for under 18, and 75 rand entrance fee for any adult just coming for the day. And that will include a branded wine glass and also gives you an entry to taste all the wines from the nine of the most southern wines in Africa. Gosh, it sounds like you've got an awful lot going on there just all on one day. You should think about doing this over a weekend, Dirk, next time. It sounds like <laughs> way too much stuff for people to do in one day. <laughs> yeah, we'll, maybe we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like if you're going to have all these things going on, gosh, because, I mean, you, there's also going to be a handcrafted pottery. There's going to be indigenous flowers. There's going to be local produce available. So people can actually pack up, a, you know, shop as well while they're there. Yeah, I think it's a perfect family day. Um, mm. I just checked the weather as well, and the weather seems to be good. I don't think it's going to be too hot. It's not going to be cold. We're having a bit of rain at the moment, so there'll be no dust. Everything will be perfect for the day on Saturday. Well, I wish you much success and hope you have a fabulous day, and, and hopefully next time I speak to you, Dirk, it'll be a weekend event. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, enjoy it, and thanks so much for your time this evening. Thank you much. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All Good right. night to you. Bye-bye. Dirk Hillman is the owner and winemaker at Black Oyster Catch, and they're the hosting farm for this year's Elam Wine and Food Celebration. As he said, tickets are available online at webtickets.co.za, and you can have you can find out more information on the website. That's Elam Wines. That's E-L-I-M, elamwines.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, a South African-based company that manages and operates hotels has recently taken over the Riviera on the Vaal Hotel in Ferenichung. Guy Stelix, CEO of Bon Hotel, says that they see huge potential in the area. And to tell us more, he's now with me in the studio. Guy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Corin. It's great to be here. Thank so, you. So, the Vaal, you guys see lots of potential there. And you, as, as I mentioned, you've taken over the Riviera on the Vaal Hotel. Okay, well, we've just bought the uh, the business. Um, and... Um, yeah, we do, we do see a lot of potential in the area. Um, so much so that you know I've gone out on record to say that um, the the area is definitely experiencing. I wouldn't. Well, let's call it a revival, um, and uh, you know that's demonstrated in a lot of economic activity happening there. And I'll give you a few examples if you if you'd mm, like to know. Please. Um, we've got um, Dorbel Industries are building a new plant and training school, creating about a thousand five hundred jobs. You've got Becker Steel going through a massive expansion expansion phase. You've got the Heineken Brewery uh, that's reportedly invested more than three billion rand into its Sedebeng Brewery. 
Um, Sasol has turned its petroleum and related operation into a wax plant uh, as part of a 14 billion rand project called the Sasol Expansion Program. Um, and uh, the locals uh, report that Chinese investors have bought the entire town of Krachbron. So, I mean, those are just a couple wow. of, um, okay. those are just one or two illustrations of the kind of activity happening there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's got a bit of a checkered past. Um, you know, it's had its ups and downs. But um, there's definitely a lot more economic activity in the area. And that obviously translates into opportunities for us from a tourism point of view. Because it has always been the place to go, to the, go to the Val and people going on the water there. And it's always been that kind of getaway sort of place for people in Gauteng to go to anyway. Absolutely. And that goes back to the 1920s. Mm. Um, when you know it was a little bit more than a 45-minute drive out of uh, out of Johannesburg um, to the 80s, when one saw a lot of residential um, uh, residential activity on the banks of the Vaal and 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 really Lani homes being built um, very close to the hotel, and those are still there today. Um, so it's a marketing job. You know, you've got a very vibrant uh, business chamber in the area. You've got a very vibrant um, tourism. Um, tourism um, a marketing department in the area and um, you know the hoteliers in the area the, the, the different hotels and guest houses in the area um, are mucking together and doing a good job of publicizing the area the one thing that always makes me very envious of people who live in Gauteng um, is the fact that they will drive 45 minutes to the Val for, for a day. If you're in Cape Town, I can say this because I'm born and bred Cape Townian, so I take full responsibility. But if it's more than 15 minutes away, no, seriously, you've got to pack the putt course and you might have to find someone to, somewhere to stay over for the night. Uh, we are terrible in Cape Town. We don't like to drive more than 15 minutes to get anywhere. In Joburg, I, I'm actually jealous that they will go 45 minutes on a Sunday. Exactly. You know, I mean, 45 minutes is a hop, skip and a jump. Well, yeah, not, a, not if you're in Cape Town. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're terrible down here. But, but you so know, the volleys are an adventurous bunch. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, having lived in Johannesburg on and off, um, you know, for 10, for 10, 12 years of my life, you know, it's people are looking for adventures. People are constantly looking at getting out of the city on weekends, getting the kids out. And there is so much to do down at the Val. Um, you know, in terms of what we offer, I mean, we've got a spa, we've got a golf, a fantastic 18-hole golf course. The hotel is in really good shape. We've, we've refurbished it. Mm. Um, we've put so it's some up and running and ready to go. It's up and going already. Well, we took it over as a going concern. Mm. Um, and we did some cosmetic, um, we did some cosmetic stuff to, uh, to enhance the experience. But what we, what, what we mostly did was focus on the markets that the hotel supports because those markets, all, uh, they all drive specific needs from their guests. And once you've identified the markets correctly, then you need to create the facilities at the hotel. So what are you looking at market-wise there? Well, funny enough, it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very strong corporate market between a Sunday night and a Thursday. You know, with the Escors and the Arcelmittals and the Sassels around the corner, you've got some huge corporates in the area, a lot of government business. So it's corporates and conferences between a Sunday night and a Thursday, uh, big conferences. And then on the weekends is leisure. You know, we've, um, we've packaged with uh, the wholesalers, uh, the tour operators like Thompson's. Um, the weekends, we've, we've got some strong marketing activities from Bond Hotels to drive um, the weekend business back to the hotel. Um, and so those are the three markets that we're really focusing on. And uh, that's where our bread's buttered. Family hotel? You, you probably couldn't find a better family hotel. You know, Joburg's got lots of family hotels, which is a good thing. And you've mm. got some great family hotels in, in KZN and even down on the south coast of Natal. 
but this is a proper family hotel. Uh, we've got packages um, for the families. We've got a, we've got a stunning kiddies room. Uh, we've got three bars. We've got a boat that goes out three times a day out into the uh, a floating restaurant. Um, oh, that sounds nice. We've got um, we've got all sorts of activities for the kids, uh, supervised activities. Um, the rooms are kitted out in a family-friendly way and can obviously be converted back into a corporate way as well. So it's a proper resort. It's a proper resort. And as you said, it, it seems to be the place at the moment growing with all this business coming in there, which will be amazing, which brings in a lot of people. And obviously it's going to be great for the hotel, fill up the hotel. Yeah, and I, I think it's a mid-market venue, so we, we make no illusions about it being a six-star or seven-star hotel, <laughs> as people call it these days. It's mid-market. Um, our vision is to create hotels that, um, that are positioned in the mid-market, so three-star properties, but really let them masquerade as four, and sometimes even four and a half if there was such a thing, star uh, hotels, but with fantastic furniture fittings and equipment and five-star service. And that's what most of our hotels are based on. Um, we own most of our hotels and manage a few. Um, and this is our first uh, entrance into the VAR. We're looking for hotels in Johannesburg, in Sanson, um, and in the surrounding areas. But we're just dead chuffed to be in the VAR right now so we can spread our wings into the rest of the area. So tell me a little bit about Bond Hotels. Okay. We kicked off about a year and a half ago. Um, we've, um, we've got some pretty heavy differentiators about the way that we work. Um, we believe first and foremost, uh, our mantra is good people, good thinking, and good feeling. Okay, and we we eat, sleep, and drink that. Okay, uh, but we first and foremost good people, and we believe that people like to do business with people with good people first and foremost. There are a lot of skellums out there, and we definitely don't want to be associated with them. Um, so that's 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 what our ethos is. We're looking for hotel opportunities to buy and to lease. And perhaps to manage in not so much the sexy um, built-up areas such as the waterfront and uh, Santon. We're looking on the peripheral, in the peripheral space, places like Sasselberg, places like Secunda, places like Saldana Bay, places like Untata, where the real opportunities are. Um, all of the other, I wouldn't say all of the other opportunities have been exhausted, but that for us, for the mid-market space, that's where we're looking, places like Richards Bay. And obviously our expansion plans are outside of South Africa right now. We're forming joint ventures uh, with partners in Nigeria, uh, Congo, Angola, and, uh, and Ethiopia right now as well, spreading our wings even further. Is this always been something you've been involved with, hospitality? Is this your passion? Absolutely. I grew up in the hotel game. I was carrying luggage um, at my <laughs> father's hotel at the Herrenkracht Hotel when I was a, a, a small guy um, from the age of seven. Uh, I've been working weekends and, uh, and school holidays in hotels. And it's, it, this is something that I've, I've always wanted to do. And I was, I was given the opportunity to, um, to, uh, to turn my life around a few years ago and, and start again. And um, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me because um, I've, I've been able to follow my dreams and this is what I'm doing at the moment. It's a slow but steady progression. So we don't have a thousand hotels in our portfolio. We don't want to have a thousand hotels because that's where a lot of the guys have got it wrong. They've grown too quickly. Mm. So we're looking for a slow but steady um, uh, progression. Well, what you mentioned earlier as well, about that sort of mid-level type hotel you're looking at, it makes it more accessible for the man in the street because the, most of us will look at these fabulous hotels and think, seriously, could never even in my wildest dreams think of staying there. Now, you're giving us that experience, but be able to afford it. 
And that's well, what I imagine what you're doing. That's what I get from what you're saying. That's is that, exactly yeah. the thing. You so know, we're getting that sort of six-star experience, effectively, at a three-star rate, yeah. which is fabulous. I mean, it, is, it, it can be a little bit cliched, but, you know, I've, I've gone on record to say that, you know, to invest in five-star hotels in this country now, you really need your head red. Well, there are so a lot many of them. them. There are a lot of them, uh, perhaps too many of them. Their time will come, don't get me wrong. But right now, we, we firmly believe that the, that the real opportunity is in the mid-market, but great mid-market hotels, and not cookie-cutter hotels. We're talking about um, hotels with, with great bars, great restaurants, not boring, the kind of place that, that youngsters would like to hang out mm. at and you know, listen to some music and catch a bit of eye candy and those kind of things. Um, and uh, you know, that's... That's that's what we that's what we believe, and it also gives you the opportunity to to, to have a far broader market. Um, you know, you can appeal to a whole lot of market segments that you wouldn't ordinarily get if you were just a five-star hotel. Now, the problem as well is that these very expensive hotels, I I seem to think sometimes, are catering for those lucky people that come in here on the exchange rate and think, gosh, it's like staying for nothing. Whereas South African tourism is trying to promote, and I do it on the show all the time, to be a tourist in your own country. We need to find out where we live. There's so many amazing things to see here, but we can't always afford to get really good accommodation. So with your putting these kinds of hotels in at prices possibly ranging for, you know, from where they're ranging to for the locals is really something. You're so spot on, Corinne. I mean, if, if one, and, and you'll be familiar with the Shot Left campaign. Yeah, obviously. absolutely. Um, and I know that you guys support and drive it. You know what the weirdest thing is, is that our customers need to ask. They need to, I wouldn't call it barter, but they need to realize that nine times out of 10, if they ask for a better deal, okay, and if they come directly through to the hotel, they come directly through to the hotel's website or the web booking engine. Um, nine times out of ten, they can get a better deal. Um, and, uh, you know, it's as simple as asking, is this the best possible rate you can give me mm. today? I know that I'm probably going to get shot down by my industry colleagues. <laughs> but, you know, I think we, we need to wake up a little bit. There are fantastic deals out there for everyone in this country. Um, and I'm not just talking about B&Bs or... or, or, or no, actually, or hotel just, but experience. Hotels. Mm. They really, really are. They might not be at the most opportune times for for people to travel, but the, those deals are out there. So you often hear that Cape Town is so expensive and Joburg is so expensive. That might be at certain stages of the year, but... You know, they're, they're definitely off-peak times. Where you can start thinking about selling your house to come down to Cape Town if it's Christmas time, because then so, for some reason everything just goes up like it trebles. Everything, restaurants, hotels, every. I mean, sorry, guy, but you know, everything is more expensive at, at the festive season You're or right. Easter long weekends. Those well, kinds of funny things. Funny enough, you know, you know, if if you yes, I would agree with you that the hotels are very expensive over Christmas in the CBD, in the waterfront, yes. mm. and in Camps Bay, perhaps. Um, but if you just take if you take if you take uh, a perspective 25 minutes outside of Cape Town, into Durbanville or to uh, you know down the other way towards Simonstown or perhaps towards oh, maybe see then I'd have to hook up the oxen and the wagon and pack the putt course you see because if Simonstown is really I keep telling my listeners really it's not that far, trust me you can go there for the day. It's half an hour on the train exactly. Oh, it's, a long, it's a long way. I know. Okay. There yes. are deals to be done. Yes, sure. you'd have to travel a little bit. You might have to, as I say, pack the pot course for the journey. Yeah. But it's not that expensive if you go out further from, as you say, from the CBD. Exactly. So now, what is on your on the cards? Because you guys are as you moving, and you're not going to, as you said, have a thousand hotels. But uh, you must have your eye on something. Well, where are no, you looking at at the moment? We, we've areas. got no illusions of grandeur. I mean, we've we're right now we're a startup organisation. There's been a hell of a lot of interest from um, the hotel uh, from from hotel owners 
with us. Um, and, you know, nine times out of ten, unfortunately, we have to be honest to ourselves and to the owner and say, listen, you know, if you're not prepared to put money or invest into your, in, uh, reinvest uh, or fix up your hotel or refurbish your hotel, or if the location is wrong, we'll shake hands and say, listen, I really don't believe we can add value to um, to your business. So there's a lot of hit and miss, especially as a small organization with a, with a, you know, with a, with a, with a quite an aggressive growth trajectory. We've just got to make sure of one thing, and that's can we add value? And that's the only question we ask. If we can add value, we'll try and do a deal. And that could be a lease deal, that could be a management contract, or even a new build. Okay. Um, but again, you know, the places we want to move to are the places like for anything, Secunda, and I mentioned some mm. of the other places, the secondary towns, because that's where the opportunities are for tourism and for uh, not only for tourism, but for, for corporate hotels as well. And this also gives the opportunity for employment, I'm assuming? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when we took over, we've just taken over um, another hotel on the West Coast called Shelley Point, and we've just acquired oh, yes, that, yeah. just bought that. Okay. And, uh, you know, there we, 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 saved, we saved about 120 jobs, okay? Um, the hotel should effectively have closed down and, uh, and literally closed its doors and become something else, possibly an old age home or, a, um, or, or something else. But we persevered. And we we've yeah we saved 120 jobs there, and we saved the hotel. We'll take it over, and we we think we'll do a very good job there. That's fantastic. Well, it sounds like you guys are on the right path, and we're all very grateful because now we can go and stay in these fabulous hotels and not have to sell our house before we go. So thank you for that. <laughs> but thank pleasure. you very much for joining me on the show this evening. It's a real pleasure, Karen. Thank you for having me. Guy Stelic is CEO of Bon Hotels, and for more information, you can take a look at their website. It's Bon Hotels, B-O-N, as simple as it sounds, bonhotels.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. Captain Steve Allwright is a British Airways training captain on the Boeing 747-400 and he's been a professional pilot since 1990. He's in South Africa currently to run the British Airways Flying with Confidence course. And it's something that I think a lot of us possibly don't ever admit to is being a little bit anxious when we get on board a plane. But hopefully Captain Allwright's going to put that all our minds at rest at the moment. Captain Allwright, good evening. Welcome to the show. A very good evening to you. Now, you've written a book, you've co-authored a book called Flying with Confidence, The Proven Program to Fix Your Flying Fears. Now, if a clinical psychologist friend of mine once told me that I would possibly feel a little better about flying if I was in control of the plane. But I think what he really meant was if I knew more about what was going on when the plane was flying. And I think that's what you're basically wanting to, to inform us about, giving us all that inside information. That's absolutely correct. Yes, lack of control is a, is a major contributor to a flying phobia. And we address that in the first section of our course, what we call the technical session, um, primarily by getting people to understand how pilots are selected, the rigorous selection, the training they undergo, and most importantly, the constant testing that we undergo. Every six months, uh, we have to go in a simulator for two days and pretty much surrender our flying license and what and the message from that is that you know the trust the professionals you know we are the most regulated profession on the planet and and that is, is very much aimed at towards those people that have control issues which isn't everybody 
Um, so for the others, the information you, you mentioned about noises and, and sensations and the, or, you know, even the little ding-dong, you know, and the fact that's not an imminent disaster, that's just Kathy ringing up for some more interviews from Jane. <laughs> She's run out of the back on our interphone system and, and so forth. You know, it's, it's, it's that lack of knowledge is, is, um, is, a, is a really also a key contributor. I remember the very first time I flew many, many years ago, and I, for some reason, ended up with a window seat right on the wing. And I remember looking out the window and thinking, why is everything moving? All the bits that's going to mm. fall off. The wing is about to fall off. And obviously it didn't fall yeah. off, but it was really nice to read in your book exactly yeah. what happens, why the bits and pieces of the wing actually move. Yes, indeed. That's right. Well, one of the, we, we talk about the theory of flight. We explain lift and how the, the wing actually is more important than the engines when it comes to flying. You know, the, an aeroplane will glide for 100 miles from 30,000 feet perfectly well and in control. And so we explain about the, the flaps and slats and how we need to make the wing bigger uh, when we're flying more slowly for takeoff and landing than we do in the cruise when we're obviously flying a lot faster. And so, you know, all those things that people didn't understand before that uh, made them anxious, but suddenly by understanding what's going on. Now, Madame Curie once said, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. And, and that's um, very much where we're coming from on the the technical session of the day. No, I said clearly that that, that isn't the whole picture, though, because we can't in two or three hours just sell to people and say, well, OK, that's how it all works. I'm sure you're fine now, because it takes some time to process that information. But also it's very important that people are calm and are able to think logically about what's going on. And so the other section of the day is the psychological session, uh, where we explain, you know, the physiology of of any phobia, fight or flight mechanism reacting inappropriately in this case, and, and crucially teach some techniques to enable people to take control of their bodies, of their mind and all the dreadful thoughts they're having, uh, so that they then can think more logically about what the, whatever triggered that and, and the actual true explanation from what they've learned in the in the earliest part of the day. Because as a, as a species, we have the most fabulous imagination. And I mean, especially when it comes to things like Indeed. turbulence, for example, you know, it, it's must, mm. uh, people literally freak out when the plane starts dropping due to turbulence. Yeah, I mean, without doubt, the number one factor that is sort of common thread amongst our participants is, you know, a fear of turbulence. And actually, out of all the things that you, you could or should be fearful of on an aeroplane, it's the, the least uh, of concern to pilots. You know, it's actually 100% safe. You've got a seatbelt on. Um, the aircraft is, is built so strongly that it's never going to break up in service, never has, never will. And, and, and so it really just needs for that to be explained, you know, what causes turbulence, uh, which affect, in, in one word, is nature. And that's evidenced by the fact that, you know, what do babies do in turbulence? They go to sleep because we actually create turbulence by rocking them normally. Um, and, and, and these sort of messages are extremely important, to, you know, to put together the whole picture. So you're just trying to rock us gently. Is that what you're saying? It's not really anything to be fr- afraid of. <laughs> I'll think it, of that it, it next really, time. It really isn't. It really isn't. I, I mean, I, I sort of take that one step further. So having explained to people what causes it and the fact that the designers of aircraft know exactly how bad it could, it could get or how severe it could get, that the aeroplane will never break up. So the aeroplane is always safe. 
So all you have to master is, is to control your, your reaction to that slight dropping feeling, which actually is only a few feet, maybe 10 feet at the most. If you jump off a 10-foot building with your eyes closed, you're going to feel like you're, you're dropping. But also to combine that with the understanding of lift earlier in the day and the fact that the wings will always continue to provide lift, even if you know, the, the air is, is slightly choppy, just like a, a rough sea, for example. So, you know, I would take it one step further and say to the people, you know, please don't leave the room ever again hoping for a smooth flight. I don't get on my aeroplane when I go to work hoping for a smooth flight. I accept that just like you getting in a car on a bumpy road, you don't get in a car and think, oh, it's, I hope it's not a bumpy road today. <laughs> you know, you know, it's part of, of road travel and, and turbulence is part of air travel, which is 100% safe. The thing about doing the course flying with confidence, it will give to a lot of people, is that I think a number of people out there, and I'll include myself in this, possibly don't like, and I'm telling the world now, possibly don't like to talk about the fact that they're not that comfortable when they get onto a plane. And there's always this little thing in the back of their mind. And they think, gosh, I must be the only one that feels like this. But doing a course Mm, like this, you realize mm. you're not actually alone. And and I think you were mentioning there's quite Mm. a number of people that have this fear. Absolutely. It's a, a huge factor in in the success of the day is the group therapy aspect because um as i say one in ten probably on every aircraft uh in the sky and there's about a million people airborne every second of every minute of every day but it is actually feeling just the same but because they don't want to make a scene they don't want to feel silly or embarrassed you know you don't they don't make a they don't let other people know. So when they come on the course, they meet all these other people that feel just the same as they do, and they suddenly realise they're not alone, and they're not actually quite as abnormal as they thought they were. It's it's just, you know, getting some understanding of, of aviation that they, that they can then move forward in their lives. Now, I mentioned that your book, Flying with Confidence, which you co-authored with Patricia Furness-Smith. Will Patricia be on the course as well with you? She's not on this course, and she, she's uh, going to be busy that day, but we, we've got a team of four psychologists, and I'm hoping Patricia will come maybe in the spring. But, in fact, it's going to be my wife, who's part of our psychology team. She's been working on the course for 12 years, uh, so she's going to be delivering the psychological aspects on, on this one. Because in the book, just to go back to the book again, um, there was the, I think Patricia's section of the book was things like regulating your breathing and relaxing your muscles and all the practical mm. ways of, of actually being able to calm yourself down. And I think we have to at some point take responsibility here and try and do something for ourselves. We get on the plane, we realize that we have this fear. And I also enjoyed this little comment right at the beginning of your book. It says, never surrender to fear as it will steal your mm. life. And you know, if we don't want Indeed. to get on the plane, we're going to be literally homebound we're not going to be able to travel we won't be able to go anywhere we need to kind of come to terms of this if we can and courses like this are amazing to try and help us get over this yes indeed i mean one of the reasons the course works is because people uh, have committed an amount of money to to come along to get better all they need is tools and and that's what i provide on my team provides on the day they provide a toolkit. This is how I explain it. I say, look, here's here's a toolkit. You know, there's knowledge. There's about the noises, about turbulence, about pilot training, about the serious flight. And there's all this knowledge. And there's also these psychological um, tools, these relaxation techniques of breathing, muscle squeezing, and various other uh, techniques that we cover. 
And these are all tools in this toolkit that I offer on the table when people come on the course. But, as you quite correctly say, it is up to the individual to get their hands dirty, to get into the toolbox and to use those tools. Um, crucially, first and foremost, the, 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 the breathing technique, which enables them to take some control of their thoughts and their irrational you know, phobia to, to then think more logically, to relax and you know, reverse the, the, the cycle, really. When are you hosting this course exactly and, and where? So the, the course will be the, uh, the Slow in the City facility here in uh, Train in Johannesburg. It's on Saturday the 15th of November, not about 10 o'clock with a 3 o'clock finish. And it's a ground-based only course so people can really concentrate on the information without the worry of a, a flight at the end of the day. Uh, we may well do a course in the spring with a flight uh, on the, at the end of the day, but this one... Uh, is a ground-only course, and it's 4,500 grand. And uh, I would love to see some South Africans along. We're very excited about bringing the course down here for the first time after having spent 28 years running the course in the UK and more recently New York and Dubai. So, And they'll be able to book. Uh, there's a website, flyingwithconfidence.com. Can they find out how to book on that website? Absolutely, yeah. You just, just go to that www.flyingwithconfidence.com and on the right-hand side there, you'll see the primary drop-down, and there will be Johannesburg on the 15th of November. Well, Captain, all right, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Hopefully people have been a little inspired to possibly delve more into why they don't like getting onto aircraft. But as I say, read this book. It does help. And possibly if you're able to attend the course, I suggest you possibly do that. Because as I said, you know, we really need to start taking responsibility if we want to travel. We need to get on a plane. And if we're too terrified to get on the plane, we're not going to be able to see the world. So, Captain, all right, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show this evening. You're very welcome. Uh, really um, great to talk to you. I was chatting there with Captain Steve Allwright, and he's a British Airways training captain on the Boeing 747-400, and he's been a professional pilot since 1990. He'll be hosting a course, the Flying with Confidence course, in Johannesburg on the 15th of November at Slow in the City. You can find out more about that from the website. It's www.flyingwithconfidence.com. And if this is something that you've been meaning to do for a while, I suggest you go off and, and possibly join them you'll possibly feel a whole lot better afterwards the book itself is also called flying with confidence it's by captain steve Allwright and co-authored by patricia furness smith it's published by vermilion and i'm sure as he said you can find that anywhere on amazon or any of the other local books dealers they'll be able to order that for you if it's not available in south africa at the moment you should be able to um, get hold of a copy of that so remember it's flying with confidence is the website flyingwithconfidence.com and it's taking place in johannesburg on saturday the 15th of november time to travel with karen key Frankie Black's joining me in studio again this evening. We haven't heard from her for a while. Well, I'm not surprised. She's been traveling around America, having the most fabulous time. And Frankie is the assistant editor at Travel Ideas magazine. And if you'd like to find out more about what she's doing or what's in the magazine, have a look at the website. It's travelideas.co.za. But uh, let's get right into it. Frankie, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Thank you, Corin. So you've been to the States and you've had the most fabulous time. You started off in San Francisco. I did indeed. Um, I was part of a Trafalgar guided holiday 
and it was a seven-day trip. We started in San Francisco. Um, from there, we made our way down the coast to Carmel-by-the-Sea. It's a two-day road trip down the Pacific Highway. And then from there, we went to Yosemite National Park and ended up in Sonoma Wine Country for lots of fabulous wine. Oh, no. As I, as I was reading more and more about your trip, I was thinking, oh, I don't really like you very much because I was thinking, <laughs> oh, this sounds like the most fabulous, fabulous thing. But let's start off in San Francisco. The things that I always think about when I think about San Francisco are those very steep roads, first of all. Yes. You see the trolley cars going down those steep roads and Fisherman's Wharf. There's a lot more to it than just that. Do tell. There, there certainly is. Um, I think you could probably spend about a month there without getting any sleep. There's just so much going on. I think it's quite similar to New York in the way that it's divided into these neighborhoods that, you know, are pretty much for where nationalities gather. So you've got Chinatown, you've got the Mission, which is the Spanish neighborhood, you've got North Beach, which, which is the Italian neighborhood, and so forth. So you can literally spend a day in each neighborhood and just have the most incredible experience. We were in the Mission, for instance, that's the Spanish neighborhood. It's known for street art, so we sort of wandered through these alleyways just filled with the most beautiful art. Um, then there's Castro, that's the gay neighborhood. It's known to be the gayest place on earth. So it's great fun walking through there too. Um, you see all these guys walking around in hot pants and rainbow flags everywhere. And then there's music festivals going on around every corner basically. It's very much like Cape Town that it's centered around the sea. So there's a promenade with people running along the promenade. There's a big foodie scene in San Francisco. So it's really just a hip and happening city. The other thing we remember about San Francisco is Haight-Ashbury. I mean, that was the, the, the epicenter of the hippie culture back in the 60s. Yes, absolutely. One of the great things about Trafalgar is that they offer these insider experiences. And what it basically means is that they've connected with um, local experts, um, local guides who know the stories inside out. And what they do is they take you on these trips. And um, we went to Haight-Ashbury with an old hippie. She was about 75 years old. She was in Haight-Ashbury during the summer of love in 1967. And I think she went into a finance job after that. And she missed it so much that she quit her job and returned to Haight-Ashbury to take people on these trips, on these guided tours. Um, oh, the word trip in, in her lingo probably means a whole other thing you know, to her. I, I would not be surprised. Us, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and as you walk through the streets of Haight-Ashbury, you get a lot, you smell weed in the streets and it's very much, very. it's a very hippie area. But yeah, she gives you a really good idea of what the Summer of Love was all about. Um, 70,000 hippies from around the world ended up going to this neighborhood in San Francisco. And she said, even though there were so many people and not enough housing, no one was ever homeless because people would invite you into their house, into their compounds. They all lived in compounds. And everyone was sort of playing music on the streets and it was all about love. And she took us to the main street where Janice Joplin's house was and the Grateful Dead and the Hells Angels. Wow, okay. <laughs> so it's a very interesting area. <laughs> you mentioned food. Well, what, what was so special about the food in San Francisco? I think San Francisco is really the hub of this kind of organic farm-to-table food scene that's sort of taken off over the all over the world. Um, we went to the the old ferry building, which used to be the focal point for transportation in San Francisco, and it's now been transformed into this farmer's market. And um, we went on an edible excursion with a guide who's actually a chef. 
very passionate about food. He lived in France for about six years, and he actually says that he thinks the food markets in San Francisco are better than the food markets in France. So, you know, you get a lot of farmers from the surrounding areas who come and they have stalls at these places, and you can go there and have the freshest food and meet the person who's sort of grown the vegetables. And that's really big all over San Francisco. Um, A lot of the restaurants have the same sort of food philosophy. And I think a lot of people have this idea of America, you know, being this fast food place with a lot of obesity and whatnot. But if you go to San Francisco, it's the exact opposite. You mentioned Cape Town with the very like Cape Town being on the sea and having the promenade and everything else. But there's a very famous song called Dock of the Bay, which was actually, I think, Otis Redding. And that was basically, he was from San Francisco and wrote about San Francisco. Yes, we actually went across the bay um, on a ferry to Salsalito, which is a very high end little town with big mansions. And... And yes, he wrote um, that song about Salsalito, and it's just the most romantic little place with, you know, marinas and sailboats bopping all over the place. It's really beautiful. Yeah, the nice thing is also that Corey, our travel director, she she would tell you all along the way about, you know, this famous song was written about this area. So she had a lot of insider knowledge, which was really very interesting for all of us. Some quite big names from that. I mean, you mentioned Janis Joplin and now Otis Redding. I mean, there's quite a lot of big name music, music-wise, that come out of that area. I think so. Yes, that that song, um, "Make Sure to Wear Flowers in Your ha- in yes. Your Hair," that was based on Hate Ashbury. So mm. as you go, there's all sorts of celebrity names that pop up all over the show quite interesting place to go and you but now from that you also you mentioned that you went to other places so you started in San Francisco and then you did this whole California road trip yeah so we basically finished our trip in San Francisco um, by walking over the Golden Gate Bridge which is obviously a highlight for anyone it's a two kilometer walk across and so we did that and then on the other side our bus driver or our coach driver, he met us. And then from there, we made our way down the coast for a two-day road trip along the Pacific. And it's really quite an epic road trip as far as American road trips go. The nice thing is with Trafalgar, obviously, you don't have to worry about driving on the other side of the road or anything like Mm. that. (laughs) So that makes it really enjoyable. So basically, we started off Making our way down to Monterey. Monterey is a little fishing village. Um, it's actually used to be a whaling station um, back in the 1800s. And then the turn of the century, it turned more towards um, canning, um, sardine canning. So the whole town has got this kind of this canning slash whaling history. And it's very evident. You can still feel it in the air as you walk through its streets. They're very famous for a, for their aquarium the Monterey Aquarium so we went on a guided tour through the aquarium and so we got to see a tentacles exhibition and a jellyfish exhibition which was fabulous and then from there we walked down um, Cannery Row which is a little strip like a little road that um, that's been made famous by John Steinberg's novel Cannery Row Um, and it's very famous now so you've there's lots of tourists walking down this street and basically you'll find restaurants and an old canning factory that you can go see and the the sea is right next to it. So it's just a very quaint little town. 
So what else did you see while you were on this road trip? So from Monterey, we headed down south to to Pebble Beach. And Pebble Beach is a um, community. It's a very exclusive sort of community where people like Bill Clinton have mansions. And um, it's actually, it's gated, but they have opened it up to the public. So, but you pay a fee to go down this 17-mile drive. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we paid our fees and in we went and it's 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 a fun drive because you, as I said you've got all these mansions and these famous golf courses and then you've got this exquisite coastline all the way along and along the way there's all these um, landmarks like Bird Rock and the Lone Cypress Tree where everyone stops and takes a photograph. The Lone Cypress tree is said to be the most photographed tree in the whole of the United States. It's actually a symbol of the West, so very popular thing to go see for um, for Americans in particular. And then just south of that, we got to the um, Pebble Beach Golf Links, which is the most exclusive golf course in America, they say. Um, so the golf enthusiasts in our group were absolutely ecstatic. So that was quite fun to see. And then... After that, we ended in Carmel-by-the-Sea, which is just a quaint little seaside town. Um, most of the houses there are second homes, so very exclusive. Beautiful little boutiques and little restaurants all over. Um, so we had lunch there, and then from there we, we headed up to Yosemite. Now, this you, I was reading some information you sent here. They said, talking about Monterey, you said it's ideally located between the ocean and America's salad bowl. What is that? So the salad bowl is a stretch um, along the coast just filled with agricultural fields. They grow everything there from artichokes to strawberries. So it's literally just fresh produce on tap. And when we were in Monterey, we actually went to a a Trafalgar Be My Guest dinner. And it's these special dinners that they organize with the actual owners of restaurants and they host you for the evening. So we went to this restaurant. It's a vegetarian restaurant and obviously they source all their um, produce from the surrounding areas because they're situated in the salad bowl of America. And from there, um, from the salad bowl, all the vegetables and fruits in the States basically get transported. So we had this beautiful dinner there with the owner who, you know, she just said food is art. And you could just tell she just, her whole philosophy on food was this kind of organic farm to table style. So very, very um, organic part of the world to live in, in, to, in terms of food. It sounds like possibly the healthiest part of America. I would, I would probably say the same thing. Uh, definitely, actually. Should we keep talking about the Trafalgar tours? Now they offer a lot of extra little bits. You mentioned the be my guest dinner. You mentioned, you know, the the special things that they add. Oh, it's little add-ons that they put in. It's not you don't pay any extra for those. It's part of the tour, but you get a lot of extras with it, and it's very, as you said, very local, which I think is really nice about what they offer. For sure, yes. They've got the the insider experiences. So when we went to Chinatown in San Francisco, for instance, and um, we went to the Golden Gate um, Fortune Cookie Factory. So it's little things like that where, you know, they know the local people. They know exactly where to take you. Where I think if you went independently, you'd have no idea unless you, like, research it. But it, there's a lot of little things like that. So at the cookie factory, we got to see how they make the fortune cookies, how they put the little strips of fortune in the cookies and then transport it to the rest of the world. Um, so that was an example of an insider experience. And then each travel director also has a chance to share their own personal favorite local treasure, if you will. And um, Corey's was this little alleyway in the mission, the Spanish neighborhood. That was just a particularly beautiful little alleyway with 
just art everywhere and there was no one else around other than us. So it's little things like that that make it really quite a special um, way to travel. Now, the, this tour went on for quite a lot longer than what we've just been speaking about, but we actually don't have any more time this evening. Would you mind coming back to, to sort of take us on the rest of your trip? I'd love to. Thanks, but now, Karen. before we go, just to mention at the end of this particular chat that there's actually a travel ideas reader offer that you, you've got going. Yes. Um, if you buy our upcoming issues, you'll see that if you buy your trip before the 27th of November, you'll get a 10% discount. This is through Trafalgar? Through Trafalgar. Okay. And um, all that information is in the upcoming issues of Travel Ideas. Yes, that's okay, correct. Okay, so those are available all over the place. You can find them. Pick and pay, spas, exclusive books all over the country. So have a look for those. And uh, maybe you'll be off having a fabulous trip to America. And to find out more about the tours themselves, you can also have a look at trafalgar.com. There's a lot of information there. And as I said, if you're wanting that 10% discount, if you're wanting to go on any of these tours, then have a look at travelideas.co.za. And I was chatting there with Frankie Black, and she's the assistant editor of travel ideas and I uh, thought we'd have a little musical break now a little bit of mango groove and penny whistle And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And just a reminder that if you need any information about something you've heard on Time to Travel this evening, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening with the Law Report when it's our monthly law clinic with attorney Nicolene Skuman-Lowe. So join me then. South Africa meets South Africa. Meet 50 million reasons to say hello. Eta, meet Hauset. Salam, meet Molo. One day, meet one day. Meet a nation that loves to play and dance. Saki Saki, meet Pansula. Meet the original trance. Meet sunshine and taste our country's finest wine on Africa's favorite airline. There's a story in each seat because great things happen every time we meet. 
South Africa, meet South African Airways. We are ready to connect you. South African Airways, bringing the world to Africa, taking Africa to the world. The Travel Show was brought to you by the travel experts. South African Airways, bringing the world to Africa, taking Africa to the world. Visit flysa.com and book your dream getaway today. Well, um, thank you for joining me on the show this evening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But now it's time for Stephen Kirker and some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen. 